0: Good morning, church. Grace and peace be multiplied to each of you this morning in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let me again thank your pastor for the invitation. This is one of my favorite places to preach. I'm almost on the verge of asking him to invite me to this conference. I just That's a little too embarrassing to, to plead to be invited. But it is a joy to be with him and to be with you. And I'm especially grateful my uh, son who lives in this city uh, came to hear his old man preach this morning. He was uh, born in Los Angeles, raised in Florida. So this cold y'all have had these few weeks. <laughs> He has not dealt well with that, (laughs) but I'm glad he bundled up and made his way uh, here this morning. If you get your copy of God's word and be turning with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Father, again, we simply pray, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Help each of us to lay aside all malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy and slander so that as newborn infants we may crave the pure spiritual milk of your word and grow thereby having tasted of your goodness. Grant me if I pray physical strength and spiritual energy To speak your word with faithfulness, clarity, authority, passion, wisdom, humility, and freedom. And as the seed of the word is planted and watered, we know that only you can make it grow. So we reserve for you as always the highest praise and full credit for the fruit that shall come from this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about assembly required. From Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Those two verses read, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. March 15th, 2020. Flew to Los Angeles to speak that evening. When I landed and made it safely to my room I turned on the news just to catch up on anything that I might have missed on the day of travel and found the breaking news that the novel coronavirus was beginning to spread and political authorities were asking various whatever institutions, businesses, everyone to just hunker down and quarantine for 14 days, they said, (laughs) with the hopes that the shutting down for two weeks will stop or at least slow the spread of the virus. Most establishments complied, including many churches. And then Days became weeks, became months. The virus continued to spread, but in the midst of this, political authorities decided that there were some selected establishments that needed to reopen. They were labeled by the government, quote unquote, essential. These essential establishments included restaurants, nightclubs, casinos, but not churches. For many pastors and churches it didn't matter their members were not going to be coming one way or the other. And still for others, it didn't make much of a difference that they could not meet together physically because they were still able to participate in worship in what people began to call, and this is new terminology born of the pandemic, They were able to meet together in the quote unquote, virtual sanctuary. Three years have passed. There are some churches that are still closed from in-person meetings. There are others that are only open on a limited basis. And then there are others that are open, but waiting for members to return. What do we we make of this now chronic absenteeism from the corporate and public gathering of God's people? I submit that it can be explained one of two ways. There are some who are chronically absent at this point out of necessity. Weak, sickly, older saints, some cannot come. Because of their physical condition, some of them should not come. And then there are caretakers and caregivers who give their lives Serving the sick and the shut-in. But let's lay aside that exception. If it is not absenteeism by necessity, there is only one other explanation for it. It is the term used in verse 25 of our text. Neglect. There are many professing Christians these days who are making a conscious decision to stay away and not show up. And the Bible here calls it neglecting to meet together. I think if some hear this, they would not receive it that way. They they would not describe their absenteeism from the gathering of God's people as neglect. After all, some will say there are online services where I'm able to hear the word and pray and give. Friends, it's not the same. Some years ago. I tore my meniscus, I don't know how I did that, the most dangerous thing I do is walk to the pulpit, so I don't really know, <laughs> I for real don't know how I injured my knee. And uh, I, had a, I had a surgery, and it was, it was painful. Uh, they, they had to go deeper in than they thought to clean it out. and. Um, They gave me crutches, and uh, I, I needed them. It hurt to stand. It hurt to walk. But I only used them until I felt strong enough to walk without them, and I was eager to get to that point. I stopped using them before the doctor gave me permission to stop using them. Because injured people need crutches. Healthy people do not. And the same thing applies to the church. Healthy Christians should not live on crutches. They become an excuse not to gather with God's people. The big idea I want to get across from these two verses, I want to state up front. There's a lot to say here, but the bottom line I want to get across is that the assembly of the saints is essential for the assurance of salvation. The assembly of the saints is essential for the assurance of salvation. The book of Hebrews was written to at-risk Jewish Christians who are tempted to forsake their faith in Christ because of perseverance. The writer exhorts the readers to persevere in the faith because what they have in Christ is better than what they had in Judaism. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 21, the writer summarizes his argument for the superiority of Christ, an argument that he has been making since chapter 3. And now shifting to exhortation, on the, person, on the basis of the person and work of Christ, verses 22 through 25 Exhort us to perseverance with three let us commands. The first command is in relation to God. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The second, let us command, verse 23, is in relation to self. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The third, let us command, is in verses 24 and 25 of our text, and that is in relation to others. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The question on the table is why is corporate worship essential? There is a lot to say, but I want to confine what I want to say to the progression of thought in these two verses. And there are two reasons these two verses give why it is essential that we meet together publicly and corporately for worship. Verse 24 is for mutual edification. Verse 25, mutual encouragement. Let's consider both. Verse 24 is a call to mutual edification. Acts 2 records the Birthday of the church, it also uh, ends with glimpses of the initial growth of the early church. On the day of Pentecost, some 3,000 persons repented of their sins, believed in Christ for salvation, and were baptized as followers of Jesus. And the chapter ends in Acts 2.47 by telling us that the Lord was adding daily to the church those who were being saved. That's a big statement. The Lord did not add any person to the church without first saving them. And at the same time, the Lord did not save any of those persons without adding them to the church. This organic union between the the personal salvation of the believer and his or her participation in church membership is the unchanging pattern of the New Testament. And throughout church history, whenever Biblical Christianity has been practiced. It has always been reflecting a high view of the church. I said it last night. Let me say it again. You cannot have a high view of Christ and a low view of the church at the same time. Yet now we live in a day where we have created a category that biblical and historical Christianity would be absolutely unfamiliar with, unchurched Christians. (laughs) I think if you ask Paul or John or Peter, what should you say to unchurched Christians? I think their answer would be, why are you calling them Christians if they're not a part of the church? But this is the day that we live in. Our text confronts that error. The New Testament are filled with one another statements that make it clear that devotion to Christ is carried out by our devotion to one another. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, we find again this critical one another factor. There, in fact, a twofold consideration here. First, the text says, consider one another. Verse 24 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The exhortation here is to consider. It means to Perceive clearly, to understand fully, to consider closely. In chapter 3, verse 1, we are instructed to consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Strong, stable, secure faith is the result of considering Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us. And yet the writer here says we are to also be considering one another. The grammar denotes repeated action or habitual activity. Keep considering one another. Too many have an attitude toward the church that basically is, Reflects the idea that out of out of out of sight, out of mind. Scripture bids us to constantly consider one another. When we are not together, what a what an idea here! When we are not together, we should be thinking about one another. This exhortation reminds us that. True Christian fellowship is an internal reality. It's it's not something merely geographic or social or organizational or institutional or programmatic. Christian fellowship is rooted in mutual care and concern and compassion for one another. So that we're not just greeting one another when we happen to see each other on Sunday mornings, but when we are not together, we are thinking about one another, considering one another, praying for one another. This biblical emphasis rebukes those who would say, well, HB, I read Christian books I watch Christian television. I listen to Christian podcasts. Isn't that enough? No. It is not enough. Our faith in Christ is not to be self centered. On Sunday mornings these days, I typically ride to church with my wife and daughter. And our whole ride can end up being a discussion about what music we're going to (laughs) play on our way to church. And they uh, left town for the weekend and I was in the car by myself. And I thought it was cool for a moment that I got to play what I wanted to play (laughs) without any discussion. But over the ride, it became weird because my freedom to, 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 to do what, what I wanted just made me more acutely aware that my family was not with me. And there ought to be that same stirring within us. There's, there's something not healthy where I privatize my faith. So that I listen to who I want to listen to. I I only worship with the songs I like. Corporate worship helps us to have a healthy three-dimensional perspective on worship. Where when we gather together, God blesses us. We bless God. But at the same time, we bless one another. When I was a young single man... Years ago, I joined the membership at the gym. My buddies encouraged me, and I I went regularly because my friend Barry, who was really into uh, working out, he went every day, but he, he, he said, HB, if you join and go, on the days you go, I'll go to your gym instead of mine and I'll meet you and work out with you. That gym was four blocks from my apartment. It was 30 minutes from where Barry lived on the other side of town. We'd meet at six o'clock in the morning and boy, there'd be those mornings where that alarm would go off. I say, yeah, I can't do it today. <laughs> and what would drag me out of bed is, is not my desire to go, but because my friend had made a commitment, not for his benefit, but for mine. And it compelled me to press on and go. I think that's the spirit of Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 that says you should not look out for your interests only, but, but look out for the interest of others. What is it in your life, what have you structured in your life that forces you to consider the spiritual interest of others? The text says consider one another, then it also says stir up one another. Stir up one another. Let us draw, let us, he says in verse 24, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Love is the internal motivation of faith. Good works are the external manifestation of faith. When we are not together, we should be seriously thinking about one another, strategically seeking to find ways to stir up one another to love and good works. This exhortation tells us that love and good deeds don't happen automatically in the body life of the church. We are called to love and good deeds, but they do not happen automatically and they don't happen alone. There is a place, there is a level, there is a degree of love and good deeds that God has called me to that I will never reach unless other godly believers stir me up to it. And so we are to stir up one another. King James says, provoke one another. (laughs) Stimulate one another. Spur on one another, it's a medical term. Paroxysm, it refers to a sudden outbreak of sickness or symptoms or spasms the term has a negative connotation. It's, it's irritation, exasperation. It is used in Acts 15 verse 39 where we are told that a sharp disagreement arose between Paul and Barnabas. That sharp disagreement caused them to go their separate ways. But here the term is used to say that this, there ought to be a holy paroxysm that, that stirs us up, one another up, to love and good works. And I don't think in this context the negative implications of the term should be absolutely con- excluded. For you to be loving, for you to perform the good works God designed, you need people in your life who rub you the wrong way. It is not healthy to just surround yourself with people who co-sign your foolishness. You need people in your life who will speak the truth and love to you. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen. you need this iron sharpening iron. Spiritual isolation produces dull Christians. We need to be together so that we may stir up one another to love and good works. And so there is this call in verse 24 to mutual edification. But then in verse 25, there is a call to mutual encouragement. California redwoods are some of the largest and oldest Trees, hundreds of feet. Some exist for hundreds, but hundreds of years. If If you look up a picture of those California redwoods, you'll see these things are so massive that when people decided to make a road, it was easier for them just to cut a hole through the trunk of the tree than to try to move that tree. You would think that these trees, because of their size and how long they have been able to endure, would would have a deep root system, but that's not the case. They have relatively shallow roots, but the roots of those trees are intertwined and interwoven with one another. And so the strength of the redwood trees is really the fact that, that when the wind blows, they stand because, in a real sense, they are holding one another up. It should be that way in the church. Our roots should be bound together so that we hold one another up against the fierce winds that come against our faith. And for that reason, The writer says in verse 25, your presence matters. Your presence matters. Verse 25 begins by telling us what not to do. Don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. This negative participle assumes that there was a previously established commitment, but a change has taken place. And it is not accurate to just simply paraphrase the exhortation to read, don't miss the meeting. He used a stronger language. Neglecting. Neglecting is emphatic and intensive. It means to totally abandon. It means to absolutely forsake. It's the word used by Jesus on the cross. Matthew 27, verse 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the term Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, when he says we are persecuted but not forsaken. It is the word used in the assurance of Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It is the term used in the question of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Here, the writer says, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Some have made it a such a practice to miss the meeting, he says, that their absence is both intentional and expected. And he says, don't follow them. Do not follow any professing Christian who neglects to meet together with the saints. If I may, the church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And I submit to you, friends, Christ does not have out-of-body experiences. (laughs) Do not follow any professing Christian who neglects to meet with the saints. And friends, you do know why these people are missing the meeting, don't you? It's not because they chose to, you know, do household chores that on Sunday. Not because of ball game. It's because of persecution. <laughs> there are some who are putting their lives on the line by meeting together with the people of God. And he says in spite of that, do not neglect to meet together. If God does not excuse these persecuted Christians, what do you think God says about the sinful selfish and superficial reasons we give for missing the assembly of God's people. Are you suggesting, HB, that I should be there every time the doors open? I mean, every time the doors open? Let me, let me just kind of lay down the principle. You, you, you apply it as it relates. If you can miss church without missing church, something's missing. And if you can miss church without being missed, something's missing. Would you drop down to the next two uh, verses? Verse 26 and 27 says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. This warning apostasy does not suggest that one can lose their salvation it is a call to the perseverance of the saints Matthew 24 verse 13 he that endures to the end will be saved but the perseverance of the saints is enabled by the preservation of the saints God keeps us when we can't keep ourselves But I suggest to you here that we're seeing the partnership of the saints is a part of the preserving grace of God of his people. God is at work when his people miss together, meet together, that is. So I'm encouraging you to pray that God would keep you from the disease or heal you from that dreaded disease, Morbus Sabbaticus. I learned about this disease when I studied this text for the first time. Have you heard of Morbus Sabbaticus? Have you ever had it? You may know it by its layman's term, Sunday morning disease. (laughs) It's a weird disease, because you don't have it like on Saturday when you plan to hang out. You don't have it on Monday when you gotta go to work. It just hits on Sunday morning. And it's weird. It doesn't stop you maybe from going to brunch. It doesn't stop you from attending a game. It doesn't stop you from watching TV. It doesn't, oh, but it sure does hinder you from getting up to go to church. Oh, I just don't feel well enough to go to church. Here's the amazing thing. No matter how severe it hits you on Sunday morning, you usually are magically healed about the time church is over. <laughs> text says do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some don't don't let distance don't let preferences don't let animosity don't let anything uh, i i i heard about a older saint who could barely see barely hear but never miss church and somebody had the guts enough to ask him why do you show up all the time With it being so difficult for you to actually enjoy the service, and he he simply answered, I just want everybody to know what side I'm on. (laughs) And in a real sense, our presence shows what side we're on. Your presence matters. Likewise, your participation matters. There are many Christians who are ecclesiastical hitchhikers. The hitchhiker says, you pay for the car, you get the gas, you do the driving, I'll just ride. Don't expect anything of me. In fact, if something bad happens, I may sue you <laughs> for what happens while I'm in your car. And in the real sense, that is many people's attitude toward the church. I'll show up, but don't expect me to do anything. Don't expect me to give. Don't expect me to serve. Don't expect me to participate. But here, the writer does not just say your presence matters. He says your participation matters. Verse 25, notice again, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Note what the contrast is. The contrast is not neglecting the meeting and showing up to the meeting. The contrast is neglecting the meeting and encouraging one another. Neglecting and encouraging one another. He doesn't just say, do not neglect to meet together, but show up. He says you should be encouraging one another. He's calling here for more than your presence. He's calling for your participation, which suggests, friends, that you can attend the meeting and neglect the meeting at the same time. You can show up and neglect the meeting when you show up late and leave early. When you show up with a bad attitude, when you come to church with an attitude that is inhospitable, critical, and irreverent. You can be in the meeting and miss the meeting spending the service on social media. Multiple ways. The text says we should not just show up, but we should be encouraging one another. It means to call alongside to help. It is the term used for Jesus in 1 John 2 and 1 where he is called our advocate. It is the term used in John 14 verse 16 where the Holy Spirit is called our helper. When we show up, we should not just show up. We should come alongside one another. To encourage. As a young pastor, I met a brother. And we became instant friends. I preached a meeting at his church. And uh, we just were kindred spirits. And uh, he took me to lunch. And uh, it was a long lunch. And we just enjoyed chatting and on the way back to the room, he said, well, "What are you about to do?" I said, "Well, man, I'm just gonna look over my message for tonight. What are you about to do?" He uh, he said, "Well, I'm going to the to the gym. Why don't you come with me?" And uh, I don't usually venture out of my room when I'm traveling to speak. I said, "Sure." I changed clothes and went with him, and we shot some basketball, and then John said, uh, "Let's go over there to the weight area." I said. Uh, Yeah, you go over there, I'm going to shoot baskets. (laughs) He said, come on with me. He said, man, listen, I I tell you, the only thing over there I I, I mess with is that treadmill. I don't know, I don't have anything to do with those weights. He said, HB, just come with me. I went. He uh, put some weights on the bench, sat down and pushed it, and then got up and said, HB, you try. I said, John, I told you. I don't, I don't do those ways. He said, just try. I laid down on the bench, and he walked behind me and stood over me. And I said, Doc, what you doing? He says, I'm here to spot you. And when I pushed, he was, he was, under, he was under there. He didn't touch it, but he was, his hands were there, and he was saying, You got it, HB. That's all you, HB. You can do it, HB. I pushed it. I got up, he got down and put more weight on, and he talked me into it again. I, and, and I'll just tell you, everything he lifted that day, I lifted. And I never would have known how strong I was if John didn't come alongside to spot me. The enemy gets us isolated out by ourselves and we become overwhelmed by the affairs of life. You will never know how strong your faith is until you are connected with God's people who can spot you when you're lifting heavy burdens. We're tempted. I'm going through and I'm going to stay home from church. But friends, listen. The thing that tempted you to stay home today, there are people in this room who have been through what you are going through. They have been there, done that, got the t-shirt, the coffee mug. (laughs) They went on and bought the souvenir store and can tell you, God is able to strengthen you as you deal with chronic sickness. God is able to heal that troubled marriage. God is able to provide in the midst of a financial reversal. Our faith is built up as we come alongside to encourage one another. But not only notice the practice of encouragement, notice the perspective of this encouragement. All the more. There are some that think that just coming to church on Sundays is too much. Here the writer says, we ought to do it all the more. Take note of Hebrews chapter uh, 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Chapter 3, verse 13 but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. While I'm debating whether or not I really need to go to church every Sunday, the Bible also says in this same letter that sin in my heart is so deceitful Beyond just Sundays, I need someone to encourage me to do right every day. All the more as you see the day drawing near. The implication here is that the closer we get, the worse things will get. And while many would predict an end-time revival, the concern of the New Testament is that there will be a falling away as Christ's return gets closer, 2 Timothy 4, there will be those who turn away from the truth and are turned aside by fables. But as we see things getting worse around us, don't you see it? The more we need to meet together, to encourage one another in the faith. John Fawcett pastored in the late 18th century, beginning of the 19th century, he pastored a small congregation, Waynesgate Church. It was a small, beloved congregation. He was a great preacher. And about seven years in, he began to consider taking an invitation to a larger pulpit in London. He was blunt about his reasoning. He said his family was growing quicker than his salary. And so he planned to take this larger pulpit He preached his final sermon and walked out and the congregation followed him out and put his wife and children and their belongings in this wagon and prepared to say farewell. But in the midst of this, his wife, through tears, said, I can't do it. I can't leave. And he said, neither can I. And instead of leaving, he unpacked and stayed there the rest of his ministry. I think I read that he, he only made 25 pounds a year. But he stayed there for the remainder of his ministry, considered one of the great preachers of his time, was invited to take on the presidency of a school. But he stayed right there in that little church, and historians speculate about his reasoning, but in the sermon and the aftermath of it all, I think he best explains it all. In the aftermath of it, he preached a sermon from Luke 12, verse 15, where Jesus says, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You are more than what you have. And at the end of that sermon, he gave words that he had written for the church, which became his most famous hymn. It's my wife and it's it's our favorite song. It's our song. Our pastor sung it at our wedding. The church I grew up in sung it to close my final service before the Lord caught me away from them. I pray that someone the church will sing it at my funeral. Blessed be the ties that bind. Our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers. Our hopes, our fears, our aims, our one, our comforts, and our cares. We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other we shed a sympathizing tear. Here's the verse. When we asunder part, it causes inward pain but we will still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, again, we thank you for your word, for its truth, its wisdom, its authority. We pray that you would help us to lay aside all filthiness and rampant wickedness, so that we may receive with gentleness, the implanted word that is able to save our souls. And we pray that you would help us to be doers of your word and not hearers only lest we deceive ourselves. Give us Lord a love for Christ that truly overflows in our love for one another. And may our body life together consist of us edifying and encouraging one another Building one another up that we might live lives characterized by love and good deeds and encouraging one another when the burdens are heavy. To the praise of your glory we pray. Amen.